Welcome to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. This is a show to help you be inspired by our Catholic faith, live out the gospel message, and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Michelle Fanley, and I'm here in the studio today with Liz Christie, who is the Associate Director of Missionary Discipleship Disciple Formation for the Diocese of Columbus, and we are so blessed to have her. Well, hello, Liz. I will get that right. This is like the fourth time okay. I, I tongue, get tongue-tied around your title. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it easier for you in the future, but thanks for having me back, Michelle. It's great to be with you today. And it's exciting to have you, and we're so Blessed to have a wonderful guest today. Would you mind uh, introducing our guest for us? Sure. Today, um, I'm very excited to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Martin Lynn Della Torre. He is our Senior Director for the Department of Evangelization in the Diocese of Columbus. He's new to us just in the last few months, and um, he has a professional catechetical background that spans over 27 years as a director, a dean, an educator, a published author. Um, welcome, Dr. Della Torre. It is my honor and pleasure to be with all of you. Thank you for the introduction. So for those of our listeners who don't know you and your work yet, do you want to give us just a little bit about your background, your faith journey? Oh, gosh. Um, we've, got, we've got three hours, right? Yes. So we, can, we, can, we can cover that. I think um, really uh, a kid from California, grew up on the border, uh, and uh, really as a nominal Catholic was wayward in many ways, and really... From that perspective, my grandparents were instrumental in my faith. Uh, they kept me going. They kept me along on the path, so to speak. And really, uh, through several instances or divine providences from our Lord, He guided me to uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, and the way that happened, really, a high school professor of mine, a theology professor, who pretty much became my mentor, my guide, my, my everything, uh, I fell in love with what he did. Uh, he taught the faith in such a unique in- incarnational way. It was so distinctive, it was so real. And I told him, Jake, his name was Dennis Jacobelli, a staunch Italian man. He was an Olympic weightlifter, college basketball player. He would tear you apart if you crossed him. But um, I just asked him, Jake, I want to do what you do. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if you want to do this. But uh, I'm curious to see where I could go to get this type of uh, uh, formation or training or, or, or what you do. So he mentioned three schools for me. Uh, he mentioned uh, the Ignatian program in San Francisco to study under Father Fessio. He mentioned University of Dallas to study under Mark Lowry, Dr. Janet Smith, Father Mitch Pacwa, or Franciscan University. So I picked the furthest school away from home just to uh, get away from rigor mortis and stuff and really had no idea what I was walking into, but it laid the groundwork for a really um, pivotal journey in my life. And, and part of that background really was when I left uh, my home. It was a pretty uh, challenging situation. I knew I had to leave. Um, we were falling in hard times, but I felt the Lord, and I knew the Lord was calling me to this, and my mother knew that too, even to her chagrin, also to her pain of letting me go. But uh, it ended up being providential that He opened the door for me to really embrace the faith. And uh, just imagine a backdrop of, of a kid 19 years old, had gone to junior college, buys a one-way ticket to Amtrak because that's all the money he had on him, $300 in his pocket, two bags, and he's going to Steubenville, not knowing anything or anyone or anything for that matter of what's going to happen to him. And through successive series of events, God opened the door for me to get there, and the rest is history. I mean, I can elaborate more. I know I've done it on the podcast, but uh, that really opened the stage for now going on 28 almost 29 years of ministry, having served as an evangelist, 
uh, Dawson, director for Lutz's Ed, director of apologetics, superintendent of schools, high school principal, uh, executive director, uh, author, speaker, writer, um, EWTN personality, all that jazz. Unbeknownst to me that that would happen to me, nor did I seek it. I just wanted to do something that was fulfilling, and little did I know that God had other plans. And so through that process, I met my wife at Steubenville. She's a FUS grad as well. Uh, we've been blessed with four living children, three and 13 in heaven. We have three currently at Franciscan. And through an interesting journey, having literally retired from a full-time active ministry and just doing consulting work, somehow God brought me back, and now I'm here in Columbus. Go figure. Well, we are so excited to have you. <laughs> and you mentioned um, the podcast. So Liz has a fabulous podcast called Proclaim mm-hmm. Columbus. And Dr. De La Torre mm-hmm. was featured and can give you, you can listen to his entire journey on that podcast. So I'd highly recommend checking it out and subscribing because they also have a lot of awesome content about evangelization mm-hmm. on there for everyone, all you listeners out there. So Dr. De La Torre, will you tell us as a senior director for the diocese, what are your mm-hmm. hopes and your plans for evangelization here in Columbus? I think to reawaken mom and dad, I think that the primary focus, if we're going to truly proclaim the gospel and really invite someone to seek and to investigate the faith, uh, that investigation has to come with some truth. And so my, my emphasis and something that Bishop Fernandez shares with me very intimately, because when we talked and discussed about the, the future of evangelization in Columbus, it's really to focus on the perennial aspect of the family, that mom and dad, caregiver, aunt, uncle, uh, grandparent, whoever's in charge of that child, must be the centerpiece all right, attached to Jesus Christ to bring that child to the faith. And so uh, my aim is to really rebuild uh, the idea of parish religious education, it is religious ed, really, and what is evangelization. Uh, typically speaking, historically, evangelization comes from the family. It doesn't come from a program. It doesn't come from a book. It doesn't come from a particular resource. It's rooted in the Word of God, but really it emphasizes the role of the Holy Family. It's the family itself that's going to be the key. So for me, emphasis is going to focus on um, supporting mom and dad, supporting the caregiver, uh, reinvigorating them in the faith, not to be afraid to set the bar high, to set the standard in cultivating the soul of a child. Because our, our, our intention is to help our children view the world through a Catholic lens. We want them to engage the world through their faith, not be engaged by the sake of the world. And we want them to be formidable but loving, and to be able to articulate faith to anyone who wants to hear the proclamation of the gospel. And, and this is the key to always be ready to proclaim the good works of our Lord. And so uh, that's part of the, um, the premise for me coming here and why Bishop asked me to come, is to really bring a, a greater focus and awareness in the family, on marriage, on marriage as, as a second catechumenate or a second stage of fulfilling our gospel proclamation on earth. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to try to do and really uh, help our pastors uh, really reconfigure their notion of parish evangelization, building small Christian communities, affirming those communities, and really taking it one step at a time. But that's a general consensus, uh, Michelle, of what we want to do. That's awesome. It's really exciting. I think, I mean, I thought I knew what really um, evangelization was till I started really in the last, I would say, couple of years really diving mm-hmm. into the things the diocese has been offering with the sure. evangelization retreats. And um, I know I had heard on the Proclaim podcast, Father Timothy Donovan was saying how he had this 
awesome on fire youth group and he'd have 200 kids get mm. confirmed and 100 were involved actively in the youth group and then they'd go away from to college and most would return and they had left the faith and they Correct. said and he said the reason was the kids that stayed with the faith it was the kids who had fam their family was involved and their family was mm. strong catholic so it's so important for us as as parents to, to be able to do this for our kids it is because it, it's what I do formation all over the country, and whether it's educators, adults, bishops, or what have you, I emphasize three things always. Like you have to understand how the human condition was created by God. We first are attracted by what we physically see. So anything that we do to evangelize or catechize has to have uh, really uh, a semblance of beauty. There has to be a physical reality that the person can understand. So Because if you don't present that first to that person, there's no convincing them. There's no really demonstrating anything unless they can tie something physical to a reality that they can somewhat comprehend. Once they see that, and hopefully that what they see is beautiful, that it's truthful, beautiful, and good, then the curiosity and the inquiry comes into play. Then they become more attracted to this. They say, show me more of this beauty. Why am I attracted to what I see? It's like the first instance when I was a high school professor and principal, I would, I would teach morality to sophomores, and I would tell the guys in front of the girls, what attracts you about the female? And the guys would tell, oh, I can't answer that. Yes, you can. You just won't answer it in a proper way. You're going to answer it in a perverted way. What I want you to focus is on the proper way of looking at a female. And then that would change the entire concept right, of the brain of this young man at the sophomore level. And then the girls become interested. Yeah, how would you think of us? How would you see us? And that's the same principle when we're attracted to something that's, that's evidentially beautiful. And then from there, I, I would tell the folks, like, from the body, you go to the heart. Now the heart is resonating by something that's attractive. And if you make Christ attractive in a way where the body is physically giving you a gesture to praise, to adore, to worship, to proclaim, or that all of a sudden you feel like a magnet and you're being called into a Catholic Church and, and you don't want to leave, because you've been spiritually magnetized to really just prostrate yourself in front of the altar and to see our Lord truly present in the Eucharist. And then you have something. Then once that happens, you want to learn about it. You want to know more. You're hungry for it. So what Hebrews 6 calls feeding you not just through milk but solid food. That way you understand when you can digest that more appropriately. And so really that becomes uh, the, the premise of evangelization in many respects and how you also weave in of the creed or the catechism where you catechize because you can't have one without the other and so uh, i it's pivotal for mom and dad to know that kids mimic everything you do your mannerisms the words everything the if you're angry towards your spouse they're going to mimic that anger they're going to mimic that situation and so we want to be cognizant with our parents and telling them look you're the walking gospel for your son or daughter from the moment they're born from the moment they hear your voice and if they hear the beauty and goodness, they'll be able to withstand the outside world that tells you the opposite. So this is some of the, the elements that we're going to try to uh, introduce in our diocese through courses, formation, workshops, training. Uh, pretty much I'm bringing my entire arsenal here to, to try to help Bishop Fernandez and really build up the kingdom of God. That's super exciting for our families. Now, people are probably, if they're out there, if they're listening to St. Gabriel, they're probably you know tapped in, but they might be like, oh... You know, I don't really know my face, so where would you tell someone to even start, you know, if they're... Oh, gosh, great question. I think, first and foremost, uh, the seed of doubt is the, the, the germination of the devil. What I mean by that is this. When you doubt, then you open a door for further doubt. 
And so never underestimate the fact that you're created in the image and likeness of God. So a parent must realize that as a son or daughter admires you, all right, or they see your, your greatest attributes, they also see your greatest fallacies. They also see your greatest weaknesses. But they've already seen that. Don't doubt. They already know what you're doing. And so if you allow doubt to be your dogma, then you're never going to give yourself the opportunity. So what you do is you realize, all right, what are the good things that they see in me? What have I done that is a great representation of Jesus Christ crucified in my home? And that becomes the key. So it's so as if you have a corpus at home, if you have a crucifix, that you acknowledge that Christ is present, make the sign of the cross. Or if you develop a certain area that's designated as a sacred space, have a little book stand, open the Bible, maybe kiss that, because it is a living, breathing Word. If a child begins to see that, if he begins to resonate with that, then you've got something. It's as subtle as that. It's not something profound. It's something that's beautiful and simple. And then from there, you begin to establish an identity with your son or daughter related to the Catholic faith. Um, it's as simple as, Lord, even though you know, some of you may not know the blessed before meals, it's as simple as saying, Lord, we give you the grace and we thank you for the food on this table. Amen. Simple, subtle, entryway. This is how we begin to lay the groundwork for our families. So most parents are fearful because they think they have to be profound. No, be holy, be simple. And then the profound will come later. Let God handle that. He will strengthen you when the time comes to make that profound statement for your teenage daughter that you tell, do not date that kid or else. So so one of the things we've been talking about on these last few episodes is the National Eucharistic Revival. So yeah. how do you think that relates to our families with, with all that you're kind of bringing to the table here? Gosh, well, for those of you who may not know or be aware of the Eucharistic Revival and its intention, Really, it's a resuscitation and a recovery of the awe and wonder of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is literally the Eucharistic Revival. And what that means is this. It's recognizing that Christ is alive, that Christ is true, that He is somebody who existed, that He is somebody who is the incarnate Word, living, breathing, and we see Him and encounter Him at every Mass, every week, every day. And so the relationship with the Eucharistic Revival is really to bring us back to our own identity right, as, as children of God, and to help us see that God became man, and He became man for a reason, so that we would know Him more intimately, so that we can partake of Him in His divine nature, meaning that we can participate in His life. And that participation is found in the sacrifice of the Mass. And in that sacrifice, something occurs. Bread and wine become the body and blood of our Lord. And so then we see this Eucharistic revival, or this reality, that this particular thing is actually authentic and real. So Matthew 16 is not an anomaly where where Christ is giving to St. Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven to bind and loose significantly to literally establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. He's going to give him the ability to consecrate the power to bring his body and blood to life. We hear this in John 6, 37. And so, and Paul references this in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 11, where the whole intimacy of why we exist is for this Eucharistic miracle, this sacrifice, this incarnate reality. And so for us as human beings, it's really a recovery of recognizing where we come from. God loved us, and He loved us so much that He brought His only begotten Son, John three sixteen. So there's a reality here for, for the Eucharistic revival that it's not just understanding the true person of Christ in the Eucharist, it's also our own configuration physically, mentally, emotionally, to recognize that Christ is the center of my life, and that the Mass is pinnacle to that centrality, and that I continue that worship through 
Eucharistic adoration as well. And that through Eucharistic adoration, I'm able to really embrace the reality of who Christ is in my life. And it does a very important thing. It helps me love Jesus more than my own sins. And that's one of the distinctions about the Eucharistic revival, is the fact that we can turn to Him more than our own sin. And so when we do that, the revival becomes just far greater than ever anticipated. Well, you are listening to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. I'm Michelle Fanley, and I'm in the studio today with Liz Christie. And today we're talking with Dr. De La Torre about evangelization. So Dr. De La Torre, um, so many of us, you know, we may have family who don't go to Mass or don't go to Eucharistic Adoration and don't under really understand the true presence. So how do we bring those back into the fold? Well, first and foremost, they're, when somebody walks away from the faith, they're, they're not walking away necessarily from Christ himself directly, nor are they proclaiming that they don't believe. All right. uh, in most situations, you have uh, a Catholic baptized who decides to, for whatever reason, I am bothered, I am disturbed by something of a physical reality. Somebody said something. Somebody did something to me. Uh, I heard a message, or someone was not there at my time of need. And so when that happens, which is unfortunately uh, a general uh, sequence of events that happens to many Catholics who walk away from their faith, um, they attribute that also universally to everything else. So they, they blame the Mass indirectly. They blame not going to confession. They blame all these have-tos or these rules or regulations that they like to claim the Church uh, imposes upon us as the reasons why they don't come. And not some slowly just drift away because of indifference. And so we have to understand the context of how the person walked away. They're not running away. Many don't run away. They, they walk away and they drift for no other reason that no one compelled them to continue to believe. There was no one around them that showed them the example that, you know what, this is important because of this. It's like, I cannot do anything without the assistance of someone interceding on my behalf. And so when we deal with family members who drift away, we have to be aware that, you know what, as, you, as they drift away, we have to calmly also immerse ourselves with them by showing them kindness, generosity, love, and also proposing, you know what, may I pray with you? May I pray over you? With you? Would you, do you mind having a conversation about uh, anything related to the faith? Or do you have a question, something you don't understand? Or if it gets even in more greater detail, is there something that happened that really served us as a preface for you to completely deny our Lord or not want anything to do with the Catholic faith. These are some of the things that you approach family members with. And we can't be family theologians to them. We can't be family evangelists. What we need to be is basically someone who will listen. And that's the key to, to helping a family member come back. Listen to everything. They may fire things you may not want to hear, and then that's where you can tell them, hold on. All right, there's only so much... I'm going to handle here, but I'm willing to listen. Let, let's air this out peacefully, and then we can progress from there. I mean, I have family members who love the faith. I have uh, siblings. In our family, there's four. I mean, there's a four to practice, to don't. Sometimes when we get into conversations, um, they don't want to hear the Jesus freak and me talk. And so I have to basically just completely switch the conversation in a more general way, because they already know what I believe. I don't have to tell them. They already know where I stand. I don't have to impose it. And so I have to respect them, but also keep the conversation towards more of a Trinitarian focus in a subtle way, meaning that, hey, um, praying for you. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, anything, I can send you a prayer card. Hey, I got this great idea for something for your son. 
So you just all those little things that are that will radiate something in their heart. That's what you do with families. And so to bring them back into mass, the biggest mistake we can do is try to get them back to mass immediately. No, they walked away slowly. They're going to come back slowly. And we have to be sure that we are articulating and nurturing them as they journey back home. Not everybody will have the same Paul moment. And so to realize that as the road to the in Luke 24, there's a progression. Uh, when Peter speaks to the disciples after Pentecost, there's a progression. Uh, when St. Paul is talking to the Galatians, especially beginning with chapter 2, there's a progression in how he speaks to them to bring them back to the fold or to strengthen them. Same thing we apply to our families. Yeah, and I think as we walk with people, you know, and, and, and we're patient with their journey, mm-hmm. um, we can also reflect on our own. So, Absolutely. you know, for you, was there a moment with the Eucharist that was more profound? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say when the first instance that I recognized that I realized that, that my Lord was real and that He was true was, I, I did a Kairos retreat my senior year at the small Catholic high school I went to in Calexico, California. I was asked to do one of the keynote presentations. I, I never volunteered, but again, Dennis Jacobelli, my mentor, my, my guide, uh, the guy who, basically my guardian angel, he said, you're going to do it. I was like, okay. I'll do it. It's like, I had no idea what I was going to talk about. But when I gave the presentation, I was overtaken by the Holy Spirit because it wasn't me speaking, I can assure you. An hour went by and it felt like two minutes. Uh, the kids liked it. I had no idea what I said other than what I remember reading from my, from my script and the notes I had taken. But I, all of a sudden, I knew that I had to do something right afterwards because I, was, I started shaking, and I was drawn to the Eucharistic Chapel, so we had a professional preparation. Um, for that entire week all right, at, at Sacred Heart Retreat Camp up in Big Bear, California. And all of a sudden, my body felt con- uh, just con- contorted towards the chapel. I was like, okay, I'm going to the chapel. As I walk in, I was overwhelmed with heat. And there was our Lord in adoration, in the monstrance. Father Tony, our chaplain, was kneeling and praying, literally in, in a trance. I just literally went down on my knees, saw him for the first time. I uh, raised my hands in pure adoration and praise, started crying. I just cried and cried and cried. This emanating flow of, of joy, of glory, of love, as if he was literally embracing my entire body and ripping away every sin that I thought I couldn't be forgiven for was happening. And then I just, I, 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 think, I guess I passed out. Two and a half, three hours later, they were looking for me, and somebody came and found me, and they woke me up, um, because I was just sitting there in a trance, and I said, Marlon, we were looking for you. Oh, I, I, I've only been here for a couple of minutes. A couple of minutes. I've been here for almost three hours. And so that was my first instance, was where I, I, I really, truly, authentically, saw him, and I've never seen him before. Now, as a young child, I, I can probably tell you instances where I, I can recall seeing him in a certain way as a child, um, uh, a, a face smiling at me when I was younger, uh, during very difficult times, or when I felt a healing touch, uh, when there was a very dark uh, time in our, in our family's life that was going on. But in this particular instance, being 17, 18 years old, I saw him face-to-face in a way where... Um, I was completely overwhelmed, and that set the stage really for 
a lot of what I'm doing now. Thank you for sharing that. That's so beautiful. You're welcome. Yeah, what a glorious story. And I think for us to just think about that for ourselves, to to put Mm -hmm. yourself before the Eucharist and to take your family, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and I think... um, Our role as, as as parents, as educators, as adults, as, as witnesses of the gospel, being a disciple means that I, I will tell you that I have sins, I know they exist, but I, I love Jesus more than them. And for anybody who wants to be a genuine disciple or an evangelist, that, that, that is first and foremost the key. That means that you, you're working on an interior conversion. There is a gradual process that you seek, and that you're willing to bear your cross to do it. Um, evangelization is not secular joy. It's not a, a joy where you feel satisfied. It's a joy that emanates that what awaits for you is heaven. That's the key to being a disciple. And there's no such thing as authentic discipleship unless you're willing to carry your cross, unless you're willing to embrace your redemptive suffering. Uh, unless you do that, then being a disciple is meaningless. If you truly want to evangelize, that means that the wounds that you bear are the ones that will strengthen and galvanize you to love Jesus more, because those wounds are meant to pred- are predicated and meant to bring out the grace in you by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so parents, uh, from the role of being perfect, that, that really is not the way is a son or a daughter should see their parents handle adversity, handle sin, and get through it in prayer. That's what will hold the family together, if you could express that adversity, and really uh, see that the sense of glory in Christ himself. And so all those things are, are so intimate and so beautiful, but essentially with parents, that's that, that's part of really the, the charism. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are just going to close here. I have a prayer from, um, from St. John Paul II. It's his prayer for Catholic evangelization that we'll pray, and then we'll close out the show. In the Amen. The, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, you called each of us by name. You gave your only Son to redeem us. In your faithfulness, you sent the Holy Spirit to complete the mission of Jesus among us. Open our hearts to Jesus. Give us the courage to speak his name to those who are close to us and the generosity to share his love with those who are far away. We pray that every person throughout the world would be invited to know and love Jesus, Savior and Redeemer. May they come to know his all-surpassing love. May that love transform every element of our society. We make this prayer through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you, Dr. De La Tour, for joining us today, and thank all of our listeners for joining us on Inspired by Faith. We hope you are blessed and inspired by this episode. To find out more about the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, visit columbuscatholicwomen.com.